When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I hated to grovel, but when all else fails, do what you gotta do. Dad, please. We'll be super safe, I promise. It was the words that every parent knew were a complete lie the second they rolled off the tongue. No teen had ever promised to abide by the rules and actually abided by said rules. Mischief would reign one way or another. This was the teenage way. Absolutely not, my dad responded. I ran through a list of all my friends. What about Matt? No. John? No. Nick? No. Ben? No. Brad? No. Jonathan? No. Jordan? Absolutely not. There was no wing with this guy. I couldn't find a maneuver to gain an inch. Every new attempt was setting me back more. But this was my final stand. If I was going to see the White Stripes' first ever performance in Mississippi, then I had to make my case before tickets sold out. What about you coming with us? That way we'd have supervision. I have no interest in seeing the White Stripes. The answer is no, you're not going. The final nail in the coffin. Shot down in a fiery blaze without glory. There was no redemption arc for this story. I walked away dejected and full of teenage angst. For my conservative parents, the problem wasn't seeing the White Stripes. The problem was their only child, a borderline miscreant, going to a concert three hours away in a Memphis suburb with a bunch of other teens that couldn't be trusted. They knew these friends, and they were all less than responsible. But we were also teenagers. It was kind of our job to be irresponsible. Following the crash from my dad's fiery rejection, I tried a more subtle approach. Every time we got in the car, I turned on the white stripes. My teenage brain was certain that would do the trick. Let him see how much their music means to me. Then he'll get it. Maybe he'll fall in love with a riff and walk back that apathy. But to no surprise, none of it worked. If anything, it dug my grave a little deeper. For weeks, I sulked. There had to be a way to get to the show. My friend Adam got tickets. He was going with some of his friends, all of who were actually miscreants. Every time Adam saw me, he bragged about his tickets. One day he even brought said tickets to school for the sole purpose of waving them in my face. He literally wiped them across my face. It was the concert equivalent of being teabagged. The day of the concert came. I shut the curtains, locked the door, and wore black. It was a day of mourning. I listened to the white stripes on my iPod and stewed in self-pity. The FOMO came on strong. I spiraled when I thought about what I was missing. Called my girlfriend Sarah and had a meltdown like a child. A full-blown teenage temper tantrum. It's just not fair. Everything would have been fine. 
Being the loving girlfriend, she tried her best to console me. Lynch, chill out. You're being melodramatic. There will be other White Stripes concerts. This won't be your last chance to see them. Except, it was the last chance to see them. It was the last chance for anyone to see them. Not only was that night in South Haven the one that got away, but it was also one for the history books. The final White Stripes performance ever. Jackie Meg White walked off that stage to never perform as the duo again. And I missed it because I was an irresponsible teenager. Welcome concert goers, music fanatics, and members of the Seven Nation Army. My name is Lance Ingram, and in the season two finale of yesterday's concert, our jam journal takes us to January 27th, 2015. Grab your earplugs as we go to Humphreys Coliseum in Starkville, Mississippi for Jack White. Months away from being a college graduate, I felt every inch of senioritis. I didn't want to do homework anymore. I longed for the days to be done with school forever. Rather than writing another journalism assignment, I read music news to procrastinate a little longer. New albums, new singles, and new tours. It was an exciting time. When I refreshed my Twitter feed, a brand new article popped up. The White Stripes officially announced breakup. Wait, what? This can't be real. I refreshed my feed, searched for more reliable sources, and held out hope it was a troll job. But there was no denying it. Multiple outlets were reporting it, and the music world was melting. The white stripes don't break up. This felt so out of left field. But at the same time, not really. It was obvious the white stripes were on the back burner while the guitarist and singer Jack White pursued his side projects. The Raconteurs and Deadweather were great bands, but... Were they really worth breaking up the White Stripes? Come on, guys, let's work it out. We don't have to be so drastic. Call Meg and Jack. Get them on the phone. Let's sort through this. Hello, this is Jack. This is Meg. In other episodes, I've talked a lot about my classic rock upbringing. Modern music was never my thing until more recently. I grew up a classic rock fanatic, and it wasn't uncommon for me to dislike modern rock for the sole reason of it being modern. But the White Stripes were different. They grabbed me. I don't know if it was the blues heritage or explosive garage rock, but they were one of the only modern bands I tolerated. No, that's not the right word. I adored the White Stripes. Like the other handful of modern acts I enjoyed, they made me feel not so different from my peers. They made me feel like at least a part of my music tastes were normal. When my peers had little to no concept of who Led Zeppelin was, I could fall back on the White Stripes. There was some pride in being the nerd who listened to music no one else did, but I was still a teenager. My main goal at the end of the day was to be accepted, and bands like the White Stripes gave me something to talk about at the lunch table. I cranked the White Stripes on my stereo and buried myself in an ocean of blankets and melancholy. It was like high school all over again. It was like missing their final performance all over again. I felt disconnected, like I had lost something. The White Stripes were now like so many of the classic rock artists I love. They were another band in a bygone era. Having a favorite band break up was new to me. The classic rock artists I loved had already been broken up for years. As a teen of the early aughts thriving on classic rock, 
I was only there for the good times. I got to skip the bad albums. I missed the breakups and member replacements. I was only there for the reunion tours and discovering the best albums first. The good times. It was like my first high school breakup. Lindsay broke my heart and the White Stripes were repeating. Hopefully in 20 or 30 years I'll get to take my kids to a White Stripes reunion tour and they'll know that feeling. The good times. But the present sucked. If you didn't grow up in the Southeast or have zero perception of SEC football, it's unlikely you've ever heard of Starkville, Mississippi. Truthfully, it might even be better that way. This little town located in the northeast part of the state is home to Mississippi State University, the Bulldogs, the sworn rivals of my alma mater, the University of Mississippi, Ole Miss. After five years at Ole Miss, I was programmed to not like Starkville. State grads will disagree with me, but Starkville is a place worth avoiding. It's boring and uninspired. It's hours away from any nearby cities and surrounded by boonies and farmland. Much like most of Mississippi, there's not a lot there. So why in the absolute Ronnie James Dio's seven layers of hell was Jack White playing there? I mean, of all the places in the Southeast, or even Mississippi and the Mid-South in general, play in Tupelo where I was living at the time. At least we had the birthplace of Elvis. Play a little up the road in Memphis, home of the blues. Or if you gotta play in Mississippi, play in Jackson, the capital city. Or, better yet, play South Haven at the same venue where the White Stripes had their final show. That would surely have some meaning and grandeur, right? But Starkville? Of all the places to play, man. But were it not for Jack White's most recent album, Lazaretto, I wouldn't have even considered venturing into that sad town. Blunderbuss, Jack White's first solo album, failed to grab me until several years later. I was too disappointed the Stripes weren't together to process it. That's on me. But time heals all wounds, and Lazaretto was a source of rehabilitation. As a record collector, Lazaretto was also a huge splash in the community. The record was pressed with more gimmicks and a Swiss army knife. It was impossible to find in stores. Pre-orders sold out and any stock that made it to shelves was gone before the shrink wrap settled. It blew out the charts and in the first week alone it sold more than 40,000 copies on vinyl. In the process, it set a new record for vinyl sales. The first time since 1991. Physical media was dying, but here was an album so hot that indie record stores were finally looking like the good old days. I had to check it out. And what I found was the Jack White that I knew and loved. Lazaretto was the easy access. It reminded me of those White Stripes songs and the vibe that sold me on the original duo. Tour was soon announced and that's when I saw it. Jack White performing in Starkville, Mississippi, a measly one hour drive from where I was living in Tupelo. I could stay up a few extra hours on a work night for this one. But what about crossing into enemy territory? Was I going to endure Starkville? Not only that, but step foot on State's campus? Yes. Because collegiate rivalries are dumb and best left on the sporting field. parking lot was full, but inside Humphreys Coliseum, the seats were empty. The home to Mississippi State basketball was barren aside from a handful of fans. 
On the floor, a group of fans crowded around the stage at center court. Even with the stage moved from one end of the court to the middle, the floor was still vacant of fans. I wondered if they would open it up to those in the stands to fill it out some more. But even if they did that, there'd still be room to spare. The show started in 15 minutes and I feared a last minute cancellation. The episodes of Jack White's temper due to poor audiences were well chronicled. I came into the show seeking vindication for missing the White Stripes final show. Now I was beginning to fear if I'd have a different story to tell. Would Jack even take the stage given all the empty seats? Would he Axel Roses and cancel at showtime? Even if he does perform, will he give his best? I prepared myself for a half-hearted performance, if there even was a performance. The town hadn't bothered to show up for him, so why would he show up in return? At this point, I couldn't even smirk at the shame of a rival school. This was a matter of rock and roll disappointment, and that's no joking matter. Although it wasn't the first time, I was embarrassed as a Mississippian. Where were the fans? I know it's a school night, but come on. This was the biggest name in rock music. Jack White was not only a torchbearer for the next generation of rock and roll, but also music in general. His label, Third Man Records, was part of the driving force to reignite vinyl sales. He was the bridge between the old and the new. Yet here we are on a Tuesday night and less than 2,000 people showed up. And that might be a conservative estimation. Then the lights drop and the band walks out. So this is actually happening. Jack White took the stage. Like a pop queen shifting her aesthetics album to album, Jack had morphed into an Elvis tribute artist. Wearing 50s garb, his hair was slicked back into a pompadour. He was King Creole. His fury was released on the guitar. It was a loud mess of distortion and feedback. The sound system crackled under the weight of the noise. The lack of one body so absorbed the sounds that the music reverberating off every surface. The EQ levels were peaking into the red. The band's sound melted into a muddied mess and hit with no dampener or apologies. Stunned by the levels, I tried to play it cool. Nah, no, it's not loud. We're fine. Everything's fine. Hearing damage is fun. After about five songs, I was in the bathroom cramming toilet paper in my ears in an attempt to find some relief. I felt every inch of the same. If it's too loud, you're too old. After all, I was a working professional hanging out on a college campus on a Tuesday night. So the shoe fit. Coming into the show, I had no expectations of the set list. I assumed it'd be all solo material, sort of like an early Paul McCartney Wings. I figured that Jack had moved on and would focus on what interests him now and not on the past. It'd be disappointing not to hear White Stripes music. I mean, the whole experience was basically an opportunity to rectify the disappointments of my youth. So, no big deal. You know, just working through some stuff here. At least I'd be seeing half the White Stripes, though. That counted for something. Right? Jack set my mind at ease with the first song, Dead Leaves in the Dirty Ground. But this was the supercharged version. The rawness of the stripes was absent. These weren't the stripped down garage rock blues tributes of the early aughts. With a fuller band, the song hit harder and louder. Then again, drums and Jack's guitar were so loud that they were still the dominant force. So in a way, the White Stripes ethos was still front and center. But Jack kept the stripes rolling. We got Hotel Yorba, the hardest button to button, an icky thump, plus a few others. My fears of a stripeless show were eased. His solo material was great, but we all knew what we were paying to see. Aside from the white stripes, Jack's blues influences refused to take a back seat. Between songs, Jack took time to lecture the audience about the importance of the blues and the roots of the Magnolia State. 
He encouraged students to take a trip to the Delta, see where America's music was birthed, go to the crossroads and make your own deal with the devil. Or if that was too intense, he had some other advice. Take a philosophy class and go to a baseball game. You don't have to like baseball, you just have to sit there and meditate. When the show started with a White Stripes song, I wondered about Jack's relationship with the band's most popular song. Was this a scenario where the singer resented the mega hit? With nearly half the set being White Stripes tunes, surely he knew what the people wanted. He returned from the encore break with Icky Thump, and I thought this was it. He'd send us home on that note. A solid choice and a noteworthy hit to end on. Then he went into Ball and Biscuit, and you don't know what love is. Each time I thought, yep, this is definitely the end of the show. But no, Jack trudged on. Bypassing the typical one or two song encore, the band leader filled the encore with notable stripes. Then the familiar bass line started, and the crowd lost their mind. It's impossible not to love this song. At the very least, get a little amped up and excited about it. Like so many people, this was the song that introduced me to the White Stripes. The drummer kicked in and Jack stepped to the microphone. I'm gonna find them all. A Seven Nation Army couldn't hold me back. The song was sloppy and muddy, but every bit as triumphant as I hoped. At the end of the song, Jack laid his guitar at his amplifier and let the feedback ring. You've been incredible, and I've been Jack White. Before Jack White left the stage, he thanked the audience and mentioned that he wasn't sure when he'd be back to Mississippi. Reading between the lines, this may have been the subtle nod about the empty room I expected all night. The showing was pitiful. Later that week, he had a super sold-out show at Madison Square Garden. The Starkville show was embarrassingly undersold. Honestly, I can't blame him if he never returned. It was so bad that every fan would have given him a pass for canceling. The blame was on the promoters in the city for not showing up. That wasn't his fault. But Jack White showed up and showed out. He put on a performance that rivaled those of a sold-out arena. And those in attendance received it as if it was a sold-out arena. I was grateful for the opportunity to see rock and roll royalty. My hope to fill the White Stripes void wasn't repaired, but I was satisfied. I'll live with the regret of missing the White Stripes final show until the day I get to see them live. Even though the longer time goes on, the less it looks like that could ever happen. In retrospect though, I don't hate that I saw Jack White play an empty arena in nowhere in Mississippi. It was a surprising contrast from what I imagined the final White Stripes show was like. It showed me a side of the professional Jack White. Despite a poor audience, he still gave a great show. Fortunately since then, I've been able to see him play a few more solo gigs, all to much larger and appreciative fans. The Starkville show wasn't the redemption arc I hoped it would be. It's tough to beat the White Stripes final show. But if anything, at least the band's music is still being played in arenas for my enjoyment. Even if no one else is there. I'm Lance Ingram, and this is Yesterday's Concert. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. Sources and more info on today's show are available on our website, yesterdaysconcert.com. While you're there, connect with Yesterday's Concert. Sign up for our e-newsletter. Or jump over to Facebook or Instagram and give us a shout at Yesterday's Concert. And until next time, take care of your shoes. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.